HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. With our growing season just around the corner, we're sowing seeds of knowledge and empathy on this week's episode of Meet and Three through four unique stories. I'm always shocked at how aggressive people are with their language. I'll have something like Japanese knockweed and they'll say, you know, these are terrible, they're they're foreigners, they're invasive, and you know, but they're also, you know, they're really healthy if you eat them. We're surrounded by seeds that have already adapted to live with us and they're actually already kind of living in the future because cities are hotter and they're more polluted and they're more fragmented and these are the plants that can deal with that. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Soul by Todd Richards, we're coming down to the end of the season. And my guest for this one is Erica Council. And Erica Council, if anyone doesn't know, is one of the best biscuit makers in the entire world. I mean, she makes other things, cakes. She does savory items as well. But her biscuits are so legendary, especially here in Atlanta. Uh, Erica wrote the biscuit recipe for my book, Soul. And she's continuing the path of becoming an author herself. And here she's maybe got some uh, restaurants in the works. That's what we hear as well. And she does these crazy pop-ups where her biscuits sell out immediately. Also at the end of this season, um, we'll be glad to announce that I am be working on opening my new restaurant, Kuro, with my partners at the Soulful Company Restaurant Group. Kuro is a Japanese word for black, and it's going to be a seafood sushi restaurant that I believe is going to be very interesting to be on the Beltline in Atlanta. Uh, we'll be one of the few restaurant groups that have more than one restaurant on the Beltline. That would be Soul, uh, Food and Culture, Kuro, and then in the future, next year, we'll have Lake and Oak uh, neighborhood barbecue on the west side. I look so forward to, to listening to everyone's feedback uh, from this first season. Uh, we've gotten some great reviews. We've talked to a lot of interesting guests uh, from people like Sean Chavis, who also helped me write Soul, um, and also to people like Jerry Slater, who I've worked with for, for off and on for several years, the Gregory Colliers of the world, and of course, on this episode, Erica Council. 
Look forward to hearing us back here in May as we explore more things about Afro culture, about soul culture, including, you know, things that might be slightly off you know, food topic. We might talk about relationships and how they affect uh, the communities in the kitchen. We might talk about all types of things. Uh, we'll be adding a couple of different segments to the show as well so we can have more guests on to entertain you, our listeners. I thank you all so much for um, your support during the first season of Soul. Uh, and I look forward to uh, seeing you all on the airways. And you can always find uh, Soul on anywhere podcasts are released and look for the Soul soundtrack on Spotify. Talk to you all soon. So on this episode of Soul by Todd Richards, I have another great Atlantean, um, a person who's been known in the food community for a, a very long time, even though she's still a, such a young person. Uh, we are uh-huh. really blessed in understanding that, you know, her family heritage with Mama Dips and, and places like that has allowed her to become one of the most uh Famous, and I would even say infamous people because she's uh, makes these sweet potato biscuits that are are so buttery, like you can just feel the butter on your fingers as you bite into one of these biscuits. But you know, Erica Council uh, is a person that I've known, like I said, for a great uh, amount of years. Uh, she's helped uh, write in books like with Julia Tertian. Uh, she's actually did the Biscuit Recipe in Soul, uh, my cookbook, as well as she's done recipes for KitchenAid, Reynolds Wrap, Nutella. But what I really love seeing Erica do is her bomb biscuit pop-ups. She's done it at our restaurant. She's currently doing them in Summerhill as well, part of Atlanta. And you can still get the biscuits all over the city of Atlanta by visiting her website. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Erica Council to Soul by Todd Richards. Hello. What an introduction. I hope that was recorded. Can y'all send that to me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, let's let's go back. um, And and I always like to go back to childhood in the beginning to understand where people uh, started in food. And uh, Mm -hmm. you were pretty unique because your family is well known for food. Give give everyone a brief insight to your legacy and your family's legacy in the restaurant business. Yeah, so most people know uh, my grandma on my dad's side was Mildred Cotton Council, also known as Mama Dip. And she opened a restaurant in Chapel Hill, North Carolina in the late 70s. It's still open um, and just became sort of this Southern cooking, just foodways in general icon. Um, you hear a lot about <clears throat> Edna Lewis and things of that nature, but there are so many other um, Black women who are restaurant entrepreneurs that don't get as much shine. And not saying that my grandma doesn't, but she definitely uh, deserves, you know, that sort of, you know, t- standing on the top of that mountain because she opened a lot of doors for us to be where we are today. Um, and so, yeah, so I kind of grew up in that circle. Um, uh, but mostly what people don't know though, on my mom's side, uh, my family, uh, was related to Scott's barbecue, Adam Scott of Goldsboro, North Carolina. So when I, when I spent my summers in, you know, North, you know, Chapel Hill or in Goldsboro with my, uh, maternal grandma, I mean, we had barbecue and it just was sort of always intertwined, like my sort of connection to Southern foodways and restaurants and just black entrepreneurship in general. 
I mean, that's crazy because it really ties the uh, whole thing when you started out the bomb biscuit with bees crackling, you know, that this parallel two worlds that you grew up in uh, came full circle at at these biscuit pop-ups. But let me ask you, um, in these travels between, um, you know, I would say one is Southern and one is more barbecue focused. Uh, which palette did you lean towards as a kid and how did that also influence what you're doing now? Well, I guess, I mean, they weren't really separated. I mean, on my dad's side, my, my grandma Deb, her, her father-in-law, I mean, she started out in a barbecue restaurant um, mm. in Chapel Hill. So, you know, even those who didn't have restaurants, they pulled up their barrels on the side of the road, Uncle Gary and all them. I mean, you know, barbecue is all intertwined at the same, you know, it's the same thing. You take the lard, you make the biscuits, you make the pie crust. So they aren't really, they weren't really separate for me. Like I'm used to tasting pie crust with super smoke pork tasting crust. (laughs) So, you know, it took me a while to grow accustomed to using shortening and butter because, you know, you use what you had and, you know, there was, there was lard available because they had the hogs and thing, you know, especially in North Carolina and butter is expensive. So most of the stuff that was used was used with shortening, which didn't really have much flavor at all or lard. I mean, I think the only thing uh, shortening cans was good for was putting on the top of the stove, you know, I kind of grew up similar, you know, in, in Chicago, understanding mm-hmm. um, how you can have flecks of, um, you know, with bacon grease. And, yeah. and, and my uh, great aunt would make these uh, biscuits and she would use bacon grease. She would put it in the refrigerator, get it cold and, and fold it into her biscuits. So there's always these little nibbles of, of bacon inside each biscuit. Uh, yeah. I found shortening to be a, uh, like, I didn't know what that was at first, you know, growing up. It yeah. seems like you, you came from the same ilk. Uh, yeah. What about, what about the farm? Do you spend any time on the farm? Um, or any farm community there. And Chapel Hill, was, it was and still is a major city in in North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it's still a smaller, it's a college town, kind of like Athens. I wouldn't mm-hmm. call it a major city. I mean, okay. Goldsboro, um, you know, the outskirts of Chapel Hill, like Mebbin, uh, it's farm town out there. But, you know, North Carolina is known for the hogs. You know, you kind of intertwine tobacco season with hog killing season. So, I mean... For a lot of black folks who were tied to the land, I say, I mean, you you grew up with that experience. So, uh, like my great uncle and them, they had, you know, hog farms. Um, my grandmother, her her um, on my mom's side, her husband was actually a sharecropper. So, I mean, oh. you know, the, the history there. If people think it was so long ago, but it really wasn't. So yeah, so most of it was like collard greens, but for the most part, they had hogs, and you know we. My experiences with that were terrifying, hogs, chickens. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, my my maternal grandmother was very, you know, we're going to get this food from the people growing it in the backyard or, you know, Goldsboro is not a large town at all. It's like on the outskirts, so probably an hour from Raleigh, North okay. Carolina. So, uh, you, you know, it's a lot of farmland. People have hogs. To tobacco, of course, was a big one, but you know, most black folks didn't have tobacco farms. They worked tobacco farms. Uh, you know, sweet potatoes, collard green, uh, Monka, Zeke, the pecans, watermelons, you know, things like that. 
um, mm -hmm. is what I saw mostly. And um, as a no, were you still? Were you? Did you grow up in the city of Atlanta, or were you still in North Carolina at, at that point in time? Yeah, no, I'm from North, born and raised in North Carolina. I didn't move to Atlanta until I was an adult. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I grew up in North Carolina. Went to college in North Carolina. North Carolina A and T. So, wow, so uh, HBCU, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. It's amazing how fashionable HBCUs have, have become. It's almost like uh, watching school days and um, a different world, you know, all over again, how fashionable HBCUs have become in the current climate. Uh, yeah. so, so, you know, in the restaurant, and uh, one thing that you brought up about women in restaurants uh, that I'm really fascinated by this story so much is that, not only uh, did she do it, uh, she commanded so much respect from people. And the respect not only became out of serving delicious food, but also the sense of community around the restaurant. Mm -hmm. and, and how was that uh, for you, uh, seeing that sense of community uh, being so uh, intertwined into the restaurant and the neighborhood around the, uh, the restaurant itself? Yeah, I mean, that was always sort of a positive feeling. I mean, just sort of the respect she garnered, you know, as a Black woman. Um, but she was stern. Uh, you know, the story as it's written is, is you know, sort of a really good, feel-good story. But my grandma ain't take no shit. So, I mean, it, it wasn't well, like it was I mean, I, mean I, 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 don't think many, I don't think many Black grandmothers took a lot of things yeah, off of us, you know? I mean, so. You know, it, it, it was, you know, it was hard, though. I mean, I love, you know, part of the Bitter Southerner had me sort of just give some statements from her, from her, you know, and on, on Instagram, you know, one of her biggest things was how long it took for her to be able to buy the land across the street to, mm. to build the restaurant where it is now. Because her restaurant before in the 90s, it, it was across the street from where Mama Dips is now. And okay. I think that just... You know, that piece of it that people kind of look past because the story, the moral of the story is you can garner all this respect and all this, but people still don't want to give black folks the opportunity to, to really own equity, land, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, you know, a lot of pieces of her story sort of talk to not only the struggle, but how to be, you know, resilient. And, and you know, not only, you know, you command the respect, you know, you can get it, but also command it. Don't take anything less than that. And I think one of the things I learned the most from her was, you know, under no circumstances, you know, uh, will you allow people to, to get in the way, you know? <laughs> so, well, I, I've, seen you, I've seen you run run through some people in the kitchen. So I know, I know, I know that to be accurate in your, in your disposition and obviously know where, where you got it from. But just the, the point that you're bringing is that most people would believe that uh, if you're a chef uh, currently, uh, you have an Instagram follower, a Facebook following, um, people might know you by sight and by name. They would believe that you're successful, but in this current climate of COVID and restaurants closing uh, daily by the dozens, uh, even in the city of Atlanta, uh, it yeah. seems like some of that fortitude that you have in starting you know this biscuit venture uh comes a lot out of out of your grandmother yeah i mean yeah black you know and sort of the black ethos i mean we got you know we kind of have to sort of know how to pivot uh, i mean one of the things that 
I remember talking to a relative of mine about, you know, just restaurants. They had a small little space and, you know, he was saying to me, you know, he's more worried about when the white folks come in and open the same kind of restaurant right next door than the COVID situation. And, you know, while yes, it's, it's definitely taking a toll on, you know, the restaurant industry, I think, you know, when it comes to, to black restaurant owners, uh, especially those, I'm speaking to those who have legacy restaurants, mm-hmm. um, some of the, the pains and struggles that they see and go through, you know, have, have always been there. I mean, this has amplified it, but, you know, it, it's, it's definitely had me looking at some of the things that we have to do to, to be able to survive in any climate, not just COVID. Uh, and, you know, having the ability to sort of, you know, pivot your business or, you know, look at what you're, you're doing and sort of model that around, you know, well, how do I get, you know, how do I make this mobile? Or how do I do this? How do I do that? Because um, you have to, in order to survive, uh, I think, you know, yeah, it kind of comes from my upbringing, but also just sort of the overall experience of African-Americans, especially when it comes to business. <laughs> You know, uh, let me uh, ask, ask, ask this question uh, about pivoting, uh, because you bring up some excellent points about just in business in general. And then you have uh, being black, you know, uh, as a qualifier for that as well, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, with a legacy restaurant like that, uh, you know, recipes still they don't change. You know, technology might change. Uh, you know, we have all these fancy combi ovens now. You can do steam, broil, smoke in all these ovens. Microwave mm-hmm. oven came about. Uh, you know, I've seen uh, great soul food restaurants in Chicago, even in Atlanta, where people used to cut, you know, get greens in whole. Then they started getting them in already pre-cut. And then they started mm-hmm. just getting canned greens. Why mm. is it? Mm-mm. Is it? I know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is it? Why is it that you all, you know, or your family didn't make that pivot? Um, and, and, and what some people might call simplicity on the surface, I would call it cheating. Um, but um, why didn't your family not make that pivot uh, to those other ways that people have chose to go to? Well, I can't really speak on that 100% because I don't work there every day. Um, right. But, you know, I would imagine, you know, they, they would want to keep it as 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 the same as it's always been. I mean, you don't stay in business 40 years by taking, you know, uh, you know, old school collard greens that you had to cut up or that big bucket of chitlins and getting canned food. I mean, you just don't, you don't do that. I mean, you, you want to stay consistent. Uh, so I would assume, you know, that they would want to keep it consistent, especially with my grandma gone. I mean, she, you know, you don't want her coming back. Asking right. Doing stuff like that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and then two. One of the things with legacy restaurants, I'll say, I, I'm not. Really, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you can look at Scott's Barbecue in Goldsboro, North Carolina. I mean, that that those kids or not kids now, but they didn't want to continue that restaurant, so it's just the sauce. You know, but you're thinking about a restaurant that started in the early 1900s and ran through Goldsboro to, to the late 90s. Um, you know, you kind of run into the situation where, like like at Mama Dibs, my aunts and them, they're in their 60s. You know, mm-hmm. and you, you kind of got, you know, the same people working there. So a lot of the times when you look at restaurants that are legacy restaurants in, in, in the Black community, I'll say that, it's the same people who are working there, still working there. 
who so, started I mean, there as, as kids. Yeah, <laughs> and you know how we are. We're kind of stuck in our ways. We don't want to change nothing. So, you know, I think a lot of the sort of the 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 pieces when it comes to the food and things are are dictated because of that. However, it also it hinders how they evolve in technology because they don't want to change. And see the way that you have to change to survive in, you know, the new world. Like you can't, you know, do things like you did in in 1989. Uh, but it, yeah, so I mean, there's there's good way, good things and bad things about that. You know what I find um, most interesting, and we're going to take a break right here. We're going to talk about it on the other side of the break. Mm -hmm. Is that you were able to take someone who can never—I told you I can never make a biscuit in my life—that uh, <laughs> could not be a doorstop—and you were able to show these hands uh, how to make a biscuit. And I want to talk about that on the other side of the break. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy to use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. So we're back on Soul by Todd Richards with Erica Council. And Erica and I are starting to discuss the art of making biscuits. And the reason why I want to start this segment off with that is because I was fortunate enough to learn how to make biscuits from Erica. My great aunts, they made biscuits, but I think I was too eat, uh, busy eating biscuits as a kid. I didn't learn that art form from them. I did learn cakes and, of course, barbecue from my dad. But biscuits, man, I, if you want to know how to make a hard biscuit, come see me. I can, yeah. show, you how, I can show you how, how to do that. But, but what is it about your style of biscuits uh, that makes it, uh, first of all, you make it look effortlessly, you know, already. Uh, but secondly, uh, how is it that your style of biscuits are so uh, teachable to other people that want to learn how to make biscuits? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I'm actually the other way around. I'm obsessed with barbecue. So I think that's why I am so connected to you and, and of course, Brian Furman. It's like, you know, I, I want to know how to do that. I want to be like Miss Helen working in a pit. Right. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think one of the things is it just takes time. But it's not, I mean, you got really simple ingredients. You got flour, you know, milk butter or shortening 
And, and it's it's really just learning the process and 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 understanding that it you don't have to have fancy ingredients. Like, you know, I see a lot of biscuit recipes that say you need pastry flour and cake flour and this flour. I'm going to tell you, the first time I made biscuits, um, my mom's mom made biscuits. And they were, I mean, my grandma did there too. Un, un, undoubtedly, some of the best biscuits you ever had were made by grandma did. But my granny in, in Goldsboro, I mean, the first biscuits I had were made with Piggly Wiggly all-purpose. Right. And I never <laughs> saw her buy anything fancy, no white lily. I mean, occasionally I saw her use that, but I mean, it was just, I think gold metal might've been the only thing I saw her have at one point. Uh, everything else was just straight, you know, or it just said flour on the, on the can. <laughs> so right. I think it's important to, you know, understand that some of your base ingredients, you know, it's fine if this is all you have and you can make a good biscuit out of that. You know, you take your time. You want to make sure once you grate that butter, if you feel like it's breaking down some, put that thing in the freezer, give it 15, 20 minutes and come back. You know, I think some people, you know, they get, you know, oh, I got to get this, get this right. And then it's kind of like, you know, just, just relax and take your time. Because if you keep messing with it, that's when they get hard. Uh, And people put so much pressure on themselves. I think uh, what I've learned from you is that, um, that, uh, I was always over mixing the biscuit. I was working it too hard, uh, mm-hmm. building up so much gluten in the flour and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And really, um, you sat there and, and took my hands, cut my hands around the the finished product, and said, "That's it." And I said, "That's it." I said, "It's not even all together." She said, "That's mm-hmm. what makes the layers so uh, so." There, I mean, your biscuits you can actually pull apart and see the layers uh, in between that mm-hmm. and. Do you prefer, and this is more a scientific question because, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd about these things. What about mm-hmm. cast iron um, uh, versus like a stainless steel, you know, bake sheet uh, that people use? You know, some people are just cast iron purists, uh, like I am. I know I am yeah. one of those people. But mm-hmm. what is the, you know, the differences that you will find in using different pans to cook with? Well, you know, cast iron, you can't cook with so many. Uh, right. You got to make a thousand biscuits. You better put them cast iron pans away. Uh, you're going to be here all night. Um, but yeah, I, I do like, you know, when I'm at home making, I, I do like cast iron, uh, you know, because it gives you that real crispy bottom and it just really makes me feel like old school. Um, but, you know, making lots of biscuits, of course, I use the sheet pan. Um, you know, I, I think for me at home, eating the biscuits, for my family, I like to use cast iron. I like to get the, the cast iron hot before I put the dough rounds in there so it's real crispy mm-hmm. burnt on the bottom. But a lot of mm-hmm. people don't like that. But, you know, I like to use my biscuits. I like them to be multi-purpose. So I got to be able to put gravy on here, fried chicken <laughs> feet, gravy by right. itself. So I need it to stay together when I bite into it. Um, uh, so yeah, <laughs> it has to be. It has to be crispy on the bottom for me. I mean, that to me, that's not a biscuit if it's if it's not. Um, it just <laughs> the texture is just not the same. I am notorious for um, if I get a soft biscuit, I will heat up a, a cast iron pan, put butter in it, and sear that biscuit so it's crispy on on both sides. So yeah. I do definitely reckon, recognize uh, what you're saying saying there. And also, though, you've been experimenting with a lot of different types of biscuits, sweet potato biscuits I've seen, um, yeah. gluten-free biscuits. And this is really why I asked the question about, you know, family, you know, traditions mm-hmm. compared to now we're in this modern age. And we are seeing, you know, especially 
in, in black culture where we're not saying that we don't want to have soul food uh, in part of our lives or Southern food in part of our lives. We're just telling the truth that all of it is just not fried, greasy stuff, you know, that a lot of it is mostly vegetable based because nobody could afford meat at that point in time, mm -hmm. um, you know, beans and things like that. And that, you know, meat was used as preservatives, you know, when the in, when it cools down, the fat rises upon the top, it protects all the stuff down below. But you're experimenting now with all these new type of biscuits. And, and where is this curiosity uh, leading you to? Because that sweet potato biscuit that I had a couple of weeks, or probably maybe a couple of months ago, was mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, that's old school, honestly. I think, mm -hmm. I think one of the things when it comes to bread, bacon, I got to throw this in here, is that a lot of Black folks are missing from that narrative. Um, when it comes to ingenuity and baking and things like that, we kind of get sidelined to cakes. You know, occasionally they'll throw us, oh, such and such makes great pies. But you don't ever see when it comes to sourdough or even some, even biscuits, I'm noticing. You know, people always want to tell me about uh, a particular white pastry chef that makes great biscuits. And I just kind of look at them like, you know, what they're doing is something I've been having all my life. Um, but things like adding preserves to them, like to make blueberry biscuits or the orange marmalade. It was actually something I've always seen. Uh, some of the crazier things I've been doing with like chocolate, brownie biscuits, that was me being strange, but it came out <laughs> great. Um, but yeah, when it comes to adding like fruit, um, like uh, my great aunt Reen would make, it was kind of like a huge I guess you say cream biscuit. <laughs> so she would make the dough and she, you know, spread half of it in the bottom, put all this sort of peaches uh, in the center and then uh, fold it over and it would cook like that. And it was just, wow. she could have cut it, you know, and whipped cream on the top. I mean, this, this is 81. So, so you like know, a, like uh, nothing. <laughs> upside down biscuit. I mean, I yeah, had to move so the you... microphone away from my mouth because I'm over here <laughs> salivating. So I don't want to, yeah, you know, be salivating just... <laughs> <laughs> sort of fold it over and then you know the the preserves it could be peaches or strawberries blueberries figs i mean they just sort of cook cook in the center and she cut it into squares and we eat it almost like cake so wow, you know it's, uh... yeah a lot of the stuff is just very much derived from things that i saw growing up um you know and then of course experimenting with okay well you can do it like this what if i add this so you know, it kind of comes from things I've seen and experienced to just ideas that I have, you know, when I'm sort of sitting around mind wanders. <laughs> so. um, what about the pop-ups, though? When did, what year did, did you start the pop-ups again? God, it was 2000. Well, the biscuit pop-up started in 2017. 17. That's um, right. I'm sure I had yeah, it correct. I was doing sort of a Sunday supper type thing before that. Um, but yeah, like working at Brian's place, that was 2017. And you know, with the pop-ups, um, you know, and now it's here 2020, almost 2021. You have yeah. four years of, of, of uh, serving some of the best damn biscuits uh, I've ever had in the city of Atlanta. Um, and, and not just Atlanta, because, you know, I, we, we've met up in uh, Charlotte with uh, Gregory Collier and Sabrina, yeah. you know, at, at a place there. So, you know, I've seen you on the on the biscuit trail. Uh, what have you learned, though, in, in, in doing these pop ups from a 
business standpoint, um, being a entrepreneur, uh, a black female entrepreneur, uh, who's also, you know, looking to maybe even go into your own space and, and serve biscuits. What have you learned in these four years? Um, mainly that you need to go into your own space and serve biscuits and don't use the past as a deterrent. Um, you know, the way I grew up, I grew up with the reality of the restaurant business and it's hard. You don't get rich, you don't get anything, but you know, bad feet and headaches. And, you know, I just, I took that and I went to college. I got a degree in uh, computer science and went into software engineering because I was like, under no circumstances would I ever live that life. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I just kept coming back to it. I think one of the things is definitely, uh, it's just taught me, other than meeting some of the best chefs, you or Eduardo, Mashama Bailey, I mean, just some of the most people who I admire so greatly and just watching them and just learning stuff. I mean, you guys will say things that should be, you know, you should be charging for um, and not even realize it. I think I've learned a lot just picking up conversations from that and just seeing how people run their kitchens, doing SFA events with uh, Fish and working at John Currence's kitchen, just having an opportunity and Greg, of course, just being in those spaces and seeing how other people sort of, run their space and what works for them. It's definitely been sort of the most valuable thing I've learned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, other what I other, other than what I already knew that people can be kind of flaky, you hire someone and they don't want to work. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's definitely restaurant business. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. But, but I think, I think the biggest takeaway from all of this has been, witnessing some of the best chefs, you know, that I've admired from afar, um, just being in close proximity to them and seeing how, you know, they make it work and how they are, you know, the people they are and become who they've become. Um, That's sort of, there's not a single value anyone could put on that. Uh, And I think, you know, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Uh, we got only got to have a few more minutes here, but yeah. I just got a couple more things I just want to discuss with you. And, and again, yeah. we're here with Erica Council. Uh, is that uh, what is the future you see in uh, food uh, from a balancing act of of I would say you know equal rights across the board? But you know, here it is. You come from a legacy reg- uh, restaurant background. And still, it wasn't until we saw, uh, it, with you know, Beard Awards, we saw Mashama and Nina Compton both win in the South in the same year, uh, yeah. or the same, you know, same time frame. And where is the future hold uh, in uh, for Black women in this business? Well, I, you know, I wish I could predict that. I will say what I hope it holds is opportunity, and I don't mean. You know, we've seen a lot of conversations around who the gatekeepers are. And for me, you know, it's, it's I, I guess, my experience are less in the publishing world and more so, you know, on this in these streets, as you know. Right. And that, that gatekeeper list is so small. Uh, just who gives out the opportunities to get in the best spaces, who has access to giving you the best funding, you know, so that you have an opportunity to do well. You know, I, I want to see, you know, more of the, I guess the gatekeepers actually saying, okay, let me, let me 
let me give these people the opportunity because, you know, we, you know, here in Atlanta, we're seeing it. I mean, they hand select who gets to go in some of the best restaurant spaces. And if you're not connected to the right people, you don't get in those space. I mean, I think about how many great African-Americans, especially female chefs there are who are just doing things out of their homes who would, you know, blow anything out of the water if they were given those opportunities, but never will because they don't, you know, know the right people. Uh, so I, I just I hope that, you know, I hope that the opportunity there's more opportunities for us are made available to us and that those gatekeepers, you know, know that you don't necessarily have to have, you know, this 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 white bro chef open a restaurant in your, your neighborhood that you've gentrified to make it successful. Uh, you know, I want to see more Mashamas and, and Nina's and, you know, I, I want to see us in the in that space that we can't seem to occupy. And I, and I want it to be, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? An opportunity that allows us to give more opportunities to us. Uh, so, you know, to pull as you climb, as they say. So I don't want it to just be one restaurant here, one restaurant there. Like we, we should have restaurant groups, you know, we should have cooking schools. We should, we should have everything, you know, our own, you know, awards programs and all that. I mean, we, we should have that. And I, I want in the future, I hope to see that. Well, I believe that future is probably more, more near than, than we might <laughs> give credit, credit to. I mean, here yeah. it is, you're looking for a, a space that, that, that I know of personally, we share the yeah. same uh, real yeah. estate. Uh, yeah. uh, agent. So, so I know you're looking for a space, so your time will be coming soon. But most certainly, in, in all seriousness, um, you know, I have been a big advocate for, you know, why you're asking people to do other things for you. Uh, do it yourself. Uh, and yeah. not to say that we don't need assistance or need help. It's just that if people don't want to recognize you, then most importantly, you better recognize yourself. So yeah, that's, that's what that. I hope, you know, yeah. and you know, and that's how I believe we're going to keep this uh, evolution of food uh, happening. And my final question is, um, uh, you were talking about flour and, and I want to, it's probably not my final question. It's going to lead into something else, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, right, but uh, the important thing about just using ingredients uh, that you have, uh, when you worked on my book, I wanted to do cornmeal uh, biscuit. It's cornmeal and black pepper biscuit. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is that my great aunt always put cornmeal on the bottom of the cast iron uh, pot pan that she was using. She would mm -hmm. put butter down and cornmeal down and put the biscuits on top. Mm -hmm. And she said that it would never stick, you know, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And but it was always that 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 knob of cornmeal that was stuck to the bottom of the biscuit. So you got this real extra crunchy, crunchy texture, uh, really nutty texture. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm bringing this up uh, in one of the final questions is that to your point that we have to become more uh, self-reliant, self-sufficient, are we shining away from or pulling away from just the simplicity of ingredients uh, to make us successful? Or are we reaching and grabbing for something uh, that may cost more money to operate or may cost more money to do so and leaving the basics of the product that we're doing behind us? Yeah, I, I think 
to I think I'm answering your question right. I think some people I think some people are just using the ingredients because it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tend to shy away from things that are what I consider fancy because um, you know I I I'm of a legacy of accessibility and you know I, I want you to know that all purpose flour will make biscuits <laughs> um so so yeah i i think that uh some people are trying i guess to elevate what they're doing maybe to be able to to, to charge more um you know but but i i i guess i don't really agree with buying things that are that you can do with something that's simple. Uh, and that's just me, I think. I mean, some things do require a bit of like, like I make a, a graham cracker s'mores biscuit and I have to get that graham flour um, to make that, uh, you know, but but your basic biscuits and things like that, I just use regular all-purpose flour. So, you know, I think in some cases, if you want to elevate a dish, you know, you're going to have to yeah, add some things and that's fine. But for the most part, you know, I think it's important to stick to it, keep it simple. <laughs> you know, if you can keep it simple, keep it simple. But I'm just a cook. I'm not a super chef, so I don't need oh, oh, whatever. all that fancy we, stuff we like that. y'all. <laughs> you know, as as I've gotten older uh, in this business, the, I, I use actually probably less ingredients than ever before. Um, yeah. You know, where things don't. I, you know, Charlie Charter always stated that he was better than most chefs in the world because he bought the best ingredients. And it doesn't mean that they cost more. He just bought quality ingredients. He, mm-hmm. he served tomato in tomato season. Uh, you know, you get scuppernongs and muscadines if you're lucky to get them during the season. You yeah. know, so you, know, uh, you buy hogs and chickens from people that you know. Uh, yeah. And you cook with love and you pay attention to the temperatures on the stove. So I believe we're both saying the same thing. I just wanted to hear a different perspective of it from from a chef that that we all respect and love. Yeah, yeah. I think simple ingredients is good. If you go out to dinner with my dad, who is the Mildred Council's son, he's mm-hmm. one of the best people to eat with because he critiques everything. And like <laughs> if he if he gets the menu and he's like looks at the dish and they're like, you know how they kind of give a description of what's in the dish. It's like, there's too much in here. I'm not going to be able right. to taste what I could. So, I mean, you know, I try to think in the back of my mind, I think of him when I start adding stuff. I don't want him to talk about me. <laughs> okay. So where can, um, if people are in Atlanta, um, where can mm-hmm. they find information uh, for your pop-ups? So if you go to bombbiscuitatl.com, um, it's our website and we have all the information about pop-ups and we do weekly biscuit box deliveries. Uh, so we deliver biscuits and um, buns, all types of cinnamon rolls, uh, apple pie, chocolate, basic cinnamon rolls, um, weekly in the metro Atlanta area. So you can find me on Bomb Biscuits ATL or on Instagram at Bomb Biscuits ATL. We're on Facebook too. So same thing, uh, Bomb Biscuits yeah. ATL. <laughs> It's so bad we're running out of time because we didn't even get a chance to talk about those cinnamon rolls. I mean, those oh, yeah. things are, 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 are deadly. Um, when I was ill with uh, COVID, uh, Erica was uh, kind enough to bring some by. And it was probably right around when I got my uh, taste buds back and I bit into that cinnamon roll. And I was like, man, you know, maybe it was <laughs> worth losing since for a couple of days. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cinnamon roll, you know? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I truly appreciate you uh, spending a uh, Tuesday with me. I know that you have a lot of biscuits to uh, get ready for for this weekend. <laughs> Yeah. I, I truly appreciate your time. Also, uh, appreciate your time and con- uh, your contributions to Soul. 
Uh, yeah. and people still talk about those biscuits and soul like like crazy. So thank you thank again. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's an honor. You're listening to Soul by Todd Richards. Soul by Todd Richards is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.